Courage 1000 Project, the podcast for women seeking the courage to take the next steps in life. My name is Melias, the story collector, and I'm on a mission to normalize the emotional cycles all women experience so we can end the patterns of shame and guilt that are leaving us stuck, held back, and disempowered from making the next chapter of our lives magical. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Courage 1000 Project. Now, today we have the beautiful Ashley Van Brabant joining us. Now, Ashley is a belief repatterning practitioner, founder of the Adventurous Spirit, and creator of the Unlearn and Up Level program. Now, growing up in rural Alberta, she was a sensitive soul with a passion for horses, nature, and spirituality. So definitely my type of lady. Now she is a transformative spirit standing for equality, leadership, hope, and adventure. On any given day, you will find her with her horses, snowboarding, or having hard conversations about environmental, social, and political issues. So I know we're going to have lots of fun in this episode. Hello and welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So tell me more about this snowboarding thing because we don't have much snow here in Australia. So how'd you get into that? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, where I live, Alberta, we have a pretty good winter yep. and um, with lots of snow. And where where I live, I'm just about four hours away from the Rocky Mountains. Um, and so I kind of grew up skiing um, yep. And then when I was a teenager, I decided to try snowboarding and I really loved it. And I just kept on, kept on snowboarding and it's, and it's yep. fun. Um, I'm a s instructor now. So um, awesome. yeah, I sometimes yep. instruct. There's a ski hill not very far from where I live and yep. uh, it's a nonprofit ski hill. So sometimes I work there in the winter. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's just, it's a foreign concept for us here in Australia. Like go surfing. Yep. Every day, but snowboarding is not something that comes up often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Not so much. Um, now today you wanted to share some, your story and some information around changing self-perception. So I'd love to know where does your story begin when it comes to that self-perception and self-shunning, I believe is the word you were using. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it begins childhood like most oh. most stories um yeah i grew up in a uh, family um we live rurally a little bit and so kind of grew up with the the kind of mindset of like just tough it out um <clears throat> you know you don't wear your emotions on your sleeve you just like keep those inside keep it tough you know don't let anybody see you cry uh yeah. don't let anybody you know be like a girl. Um, so yeah. I grew up, you know, I hated pink. I um, like almost never cried. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was just tough, tough and cool. Um, yeah. And I just, I felt like, you know, I was who I was and I was a bit, um, not a rebel per se in the typical stereotypical rebel, you know, icon thing but like uh just rebellious in the fact that like nobody could tell me what to do um headstrong. and i thought sorry headstrong <laughs> headstrong oh yes yes um and you know i thought that growing up i thought that i was really authentic and um other people thought that i was really authentic um but i didn't uh but it wasn't quite true 
because mm -hmm. inside, like I was really sensitive. Um, I care a lot about, you know, nature. I care a lot about animals. I care a lot about other people. Um, yeah. And so, but I was just pretending like it didn't matter to me yeah. when it did. And so I just kind of shunned that part of myself, that sensitive part of myself. And um, that ended up having uh, some consequences uh, called depression. Um, yep. And I was like, oh yeah, if you are a sensitive person and then you grow up uh, in like a culture that says sensitivity is bad and you shun that part of you, that's, that doesn't equal mental health. Um, oh, I completely agree with that. I had a very similar upbringing. It was no blood, don't cry were the rule. <laughs> and same thing. It was like the eldest child, you just got on with life. There was no time for emotions, for feeling. That was not a society that we were raised in. So, of course, you shun those parts of yourself and anxiety and depression creep in because you're not being true. Exactly. Yeah. And on the outside, like it looked like I was being authentic. It looked like I was doing my own thing. And that was true to a respect, but I was only doing the things and only showing the parts of me that were accepted in society. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I that 100%. Yep. Yeah. And that led to, you know, the, the shunning the parts of me that didn't fit. Um, like the environment mattered to me. And, you know, I tried to like, you know, start those conversations and things like that. But um, it didn't go well because I tried doing that in a way that was inauthentic. I tried just being tough about it and like, you know, angry yeah. about it and um, <laughs> frustrated about it. And it just didn't, it didn't translate because all people heard was that emotional static. Yes. And they were naturally repulsed from it. Um, and it took me a really long time to figure out what was going on there. Yeah. So how did you figure it out? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a big question, I know. <laughs> it is a big question. It, and it was, you know, it's one of those things that took a really long time. It, it was like a piece by piece by piece by piece. Um, when I was younger, 12-ish, I kind of, uh, I didn't kind of, I did get started in alternative health. Um, I don't know if people know what body talk is, but basically it's a it's a modality um, <clears throat> in the eternal alternative health kind of field. And yeah. um, one of the employees that was working for my mom at the time, um, she needed somebody to practice on. And so she practiced on my mom and my mom really loved it. So then she got uh, sessions for us kids yeah. growing up and I just like loved it. There was something about that that just, you know, resonated with me and it was like this, there's something to this. Um, and I I remember one time it like came up that there was like anger in my liver or something. And I remember telling my cousin on the school bus, I was like, oh my God. And then there was like anger in my liver. How cool is that? And her response was like, that's weird. That's what that is. <laughs> Um, and so that moment again was a moment of like, oh, not acceptable, you know, yeah. put that away. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's the try to hide it as much as you could, um, but you really can't because it's just an integral part of who you are. 
Um, and so I kind of just went down that path in like high school and stuff. And then, you know, spirituality and I was a weird spiritual kid. Um, and, and okay. I'm talking about how I learned. Okay. So it's a little <laughs> bit about like, our stories are never straightforward. I completely no, no. I was like, okay, I'm going to talk about how I learned to sh to shun before I talk about how I learned how to accept yeah, if I, that's okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so that was like part one of shunning that part of myself. Yeah. Um, and then the next part came when I was in university. There was a diploma, uh, a holistic health diploma. Yep. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do um, because I knew that I liked it. So I naturally, you know, went into it. And then halfway through my diploma, I discovered a book in the library that I thought would be really helpful in my papers. Um, it was called Trick or Treatment, The Undeniable Facts to Alternative uh, Medicine. And I was like, awesome. You know, here's some like hard science that will, you know, help yep. me when I write my papers. Um, no, not awesome it was written in such a apologetic way and it took everything that I had been taught in school, like, Oh, research doesn't address this or research doesn't address this. And all of those things, it took each of them and basically dismantled them and oh. went through all of the research that was available for some of the um, really kind of heavy hitters, I guess you could say in the alternative health field, like acupuncture, yeah. Um, yeah. and it was like, there's the evidence doesn't support. And I, it was a part of my identity from so young and it just like, felt like I just ripped in two. So I was like, mm. it, I can't in integrity, what I thought was integrity at the time. Um, yeah. you know, I can't be this for other people. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was the, the second part of the self-shunning that, that happened. Hard. To lose your identity like that, especially when you're studying it for your future, that's big. Yeah, it was an existential crisis. Yeah. Absolutely. I can completely get that, yes. <laughs> yeah. And and so then I was like adrift for a little, little ways. And a funny piece about that now is that one of the reasons I went into that program was I wanted to study NLP, um, yeah. which is neurolinguistic linguistic programming yeah to help you know change beliefs and stuff like that because I was really interested in that but at the time that I went they weren't having that as an elective and so then I was like cast adrift yeah. for the next couple of years and you know I worked odd jobs at Costco and then I worked at Starbucks and then you know just yeah. you just odd jobs in the odd jobs <laughs> Yeah, and uh, actually went to Australia for a year and backpacked around Australia for a year. Yeah. And came back, worked at a barn, and then a couple of years into that, uh, the depression that I was uh, shunning, um, yeah. it came in full force really, really intensely as something yeah. that I really had to deal with. And it was a crisis point in my life, a mental health crisis point. And yeah. I got dragged to a belief repatterning workshop and I went into that workshop um, pretty suicidal mm -hmm. and I left that workshop barely suicidal. Yeah. So I was like, oh, there's something to this. 
And yeah. the interesting part of that is I thought that I was being true to myself. Yeah. Like you before then I thought, exactly. I convinced myself that I was being true to myself. Um, but what I didn't realize at the time was I was actually being true to the parts of myself that other people accepted. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really big. And a lot of women are stuck in that place because to move forward from that takes so much courage and it's scary. It's really scary to do. Absolutely. You know, people thought that I was courageous going to Australia by myself. And I was like, you know, <laughs> You're it's, like, a yeah. little, I mean, it's mostly exciting, if anything. Um, That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, you know, no big deal. But yeah. asking for what you need that's next level. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened for you then once you found that courage to start speaking up and being true to yourself? I think the courage that I needed before I could do that, um, because I'm naturally really opinionated. Um, so I love opinionated women just saying, <laughs> we oh, have, yeah. I've and we have stuff to say, and it's about time we say it. <laughs> Absolutely. And and so I I kind of I practice that kind of courageous vulnerability often, but the the courage that that was really pivotal for me was the courage to face where I was. Mm, yeah. And and face some of the hard truths that I was running away from. Yeah. That was the, like, you know, that depression, that mental illness is a real thing that you can't think away. Yeah. I mean, I can reframe all day, but it doesn't mean that it's not something that isn't true. Yeah. And there's no level of positive thinking will make depression go away if you haven't addressed the underlying issues in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I look at it trying, throwing a Band-Aid on an arrow wound or a broken arm. It's not going to fix it. <laughs> the underlying cause is still there. That needs to be addressed. Yeah, there's healing that needs to happen before, before that. And, you know, positive thinking is um, can be really helpful in healing, but yeah. positive thinking alone isn't healing. Correct. Yeah. Fully agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's more ingredients yes. uh, to healing than positive thinking. Positive thinking is a great ingredient um, yep. and there's others. Yeah. Positive thinking to me is the maintenance tool. It's not the healing tool. Yeah. Absolutely. So how do you get to that place? Like how, like you've been to this seminar You've come, you've gone in suicidal, come out going, oh, okay, actually, I want to live. Depression is slowly lifting. What happened for you after that? Well, um, after that, I was still in a crisis place. Yeah. Um, I was shaking a lot. Um, and what really, what I think is not talked enough it, in mental health circles is having a supportive community. Um, where I was, I was still working at the barn, but I was surrounded by friends and 
and by people who loved me and were really flexible, especially work-wise. They were like, you know what? If you have to, you know, work an hour, take two hour break, like that's fine. You know, do what you need to do. Yeah. Because like, I would like work an hour and then like be shaking so bad that I couldn't. Right. I just couldn't. Um, and, and so I just actually kept on going to the same workshop. I went to about four times and in the workshop, there is, uh, a decision-making model that, you know, you go through to help you make decisions. And, you know, you're supposed to make decisions that you've been putting off that are, you know, kind of important, but like not life-changing. Yeah. And this was the second workshop that I went to. And I was like, I ain't doing that. I need to decide (laughs) whether I'm going to accept myself or not accept myself. Yeah. You don't play the small field. You went straight. What's the big thing? I'm facing that, like backpacking around Australia for a year. Let's just do this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not, not necessarily afraid of the big, the big questions. um, Yeah. Which sometimes gets me in a bit of a trouble. (laughs) Oh, I hear you. I'm the same. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, And so part of this process is you flip a coin and see what happens. And so the coin flipped on the decision to not accept myself. And it was one of those moments where time stopped. Mm, And I had this forward flashing vision of like what my life would look like down this road. And I could just see that my mental illness would get worse. And like, I like a psych ward was my next step. Um, and, um, just, there wouldn't be any quality of life. And I, it was like a hole that I wouldn't be able to come out of. There was nothing there that I wanted. Yeah. So it was, that was like the, oh, damn moment where I really had to like turn myself around and start walking back up the road, um, towards self-acceptance. I love it. I love it. And it's interesting that you've mentioned all these key points because part of what we're doing with this project is normalising the cycles that women go through. And you've pinpointed all of them so beautifully in your experience. So you've started off as this headstrong, who I call princess. I like to refer to them as archetypes. And she's the princess archetype. She gets out there, does what she wants, rebels against anybody who tells her not to do it. And has this false sense of confidence. Bravado. Yeah, it's the bravado. It's not courage. It's just bravado. It's I've got this. This is my life. I'm going to do things my way, which is fair enough. She's got to learn it herself. (laughs) But then we step into the mother archetype. Yeah, I was the same. Don't worry. And I have a daughter (laughs) who's exactly the same as well. So I'm watching it play out again. (laughs) And then you stepped into this mother phase, which is self-love. And then you went, oh, well, how do I love me when I'm fake? And then that depression, the anxiety, all those really heavy emotions start creeping in until you can get to that point of self-love. And I love that you then mentioned anger because then we step into that wild woman phase where you're looking at the past and you're getting really angry at society, at everything for suppressing who you truly are. 
And then you stepped into this beautiful space where you saw the future, which to me is our dark queen or our intuition speaking. And you went, I can see the future if I keep doing this. I don't like that future. And you claimed your self-worth and went, no, I'm worth more than that. So I'm going this way. And then you stepped in that final stage and you did it. You changed your life. Yeah. And I love that. You very beautifully demonstrated those five stages that all women go through. But for you and for me, I was the same. We do it on a big grand scale rather than in this tiny moment over here. Let's just apply this to like the deepest parts of our lives. And that's how we're going to cycle through this. Oh, I love it. I love it. So I would love to know, after you've been through all of this, you stepped forward into your life fully. What did you do with it once you fully accepted yourself and you moved forward? Um, so the self-acceptance continues to be a journey. So I, that moment um, that I described earlier um, where I saw the future and then had to turn around, that happened January, I think around three years ago. Yeah. Um, and so since that happened, I've had to kind of little re do, do tiny bits of reclaiming um, yes. who yep. I am. And, um, and it's, it's really interesting because, you know, I think I, I arrived to this moment where like, huh, self-love, self-acceptance, I made it. And yep. then something else walks in and I'm like, oh, there's more. It's like, hello, next layer. <laughs> yes, yes. So the most recent one that I can speak to is uh, reading, is books. I really, really love books. Yeah. But um, another one of those things I was just like too busy for, um, you know, it wasn't working, so it wasn't valuable. Um, yeah. And I've recently been like, oh, books, reading. I'm just going to read for the pleasure of reading. And... Mm. Yeah. And that has been the next self-expense. I'm like, oh, I can accept the part of me that like loves to read for the sake of a story and imagination and, and, you know, yeah. going um, and just losing myself in a book. Like yeah. that's acceptable. Mm. And yeah. so that has been the most recent one. And it's, it's progressed. Um, Cause at, at first I had to, change how I thought about life. That was my mm -hmm. first step to changing my perception. And I had this mantra that life was hard and painful um, yep. because up, up until then, that's what my life had been like. But yep. with belief repatterning, it's really about changing your story. So when I was like, when I identified that that was the story that was going through my head, I was like, oh, I need a new story. And mm -hmm. so, um, I picked a couple of new words in belief repatting. There's these posters and you can just like point towards. And that's all I did. I was like pointed towards and it was like connect with ease. And I was like, okay, new mantra life connects with ease. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're going to try that on for a little bit. And yeah. so that allowed me to connect with people a little, a little bit more that allowed me to, you know, sit and allow like to flow more yeah. without that knee jerk if I don't make it happen it's not going to happen yeah um 
which not true. Um, <laughs> yeah. There is a greater whole going on um, yeah. for for your benefit if you're willing to just sit there and wait for a second. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first thing that needed to change. And then I needed to change my perception of myself yeah. and be like, okay, so I'm not a terrible person. I'm somebody who cares deeply. Yes. Yeah. Because you know, one of the other stories that was going on in my head was like, I'm a terrible person because I don't do more. Yeah. You know, do more to help the world, do more to help my friends. You know, I'm not there for them enough. I'm not, you know, all of that stuff. And I was like, instead of saying that I should do more, what if that meant that I cared and I was a caring person? Yeah. Um, and so it was just little bits like that. And then the next stage for me was the needs piece, like understanding. Um, I was actually working with a coach at the time and she sent me this list of needs and it was just like long. And I was like, we have more needs than like food, water, shelter. <laughs> have you like, seen the um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We seem to think that base level needs is all we need, but it's all we need to survive. It's not all we need to be fulfilled. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, all of those, those other needs. And it's so interesting. I learned that in school, but yeah. something about it never clicked in until when I was actually working with a coach and I was like, oh, <laughs> wait, play is a need? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> It's like, oh, okay, I think I need to change some things here. <laughs> yeah, and things that, like, spontaneity. So spontaneity really spoke to me, and I was like, I don't get it. Um, but one of the things that kept on tripping me up was every time that I planned something, I would, like, self-sabotage it by doing something else. But I was like, yeah. am I self-sabotaging or am I just meeting an unconscious need for spontaneity? Yes, I love it. Yep. So because we do get to that point too where we look at our actions and go, okay, so am I self-sabotaging? Am I doing something destructive or is this something else at play? Because, yeah, one is a negative reaction but another could be a positive one. But the, it looks the same from the outside. Yeah. Yeah, mm, absolutely. It's kind of the principle of um, like the universe is working for you and it's yeah. something that I apply to myself is like, I'm working for me, not against me. Mm, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like that next level of like, oh, like I'm on the same team. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be like, it could be like this and we could just go together. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love it. Uh, we do have to wrap up soon. So I do have okay. one question for you because we could talk about this forever oh my so God, all day <laughs> <laughs> but I'd love to know that if you could go back in time and face yourself before it all began what would you say to yourself then I'd say you got this yeah that it's gonna be it's gonna be tough it's gonna be hard and you have what it takes Oh, I love that. I love that because I have no doubt there is somebody watching this right now who has been in a very similar situation or is going through it right now who needs to hear that. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because um, 
we are very, very similar. I've had a very similar journey. And one of the things I have on my bracelets, I've got mantra bracelets. And one of them is, you've got this. <laughs> ah, excellent. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, now, what I would like to say is a big, big thank you for coming on because we've had an amazing conversation. I love it. Um, and if anybody watching would like to get in touch with Ashley, you'll find her information below the video if you're watching across the social media platforms or if you're listening to the podcast version, just jump into the description and you'll be able to contact her in that way. So it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me and thank you for this project. Courage is amazing and I think that this is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hang around. We're going to keep talking. You're welcome. <laughs> now, join us next week as we continue on our mission to collect stories of courage so you can find the inspiration you need to find your own. If you'd like to join me on my mission to normalize the emotional and intuitive cycles all women go through, join my free community at nellies.com.au.